to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Today we're going to pick back up in a series that we have been in uh, for a few weeks that we're calling Inspire. And um, the, the idea of this series is that if we're going to live the Jesus life, uh, that, that has to be an inspired life. How many of you would agree that Jesus was the most inspired and inspirational person who has ever walked the earth? Would you agree? Like, here we are 2,000 years later, and we are all about that Jesus life. Why? Because it's an inspirational life. It is a, a, a life that, that was not just getting through the day or getting through. Jesus didn't just get through. He was living on mission. And so we believe that for every single one of us, God wants us not to just drag through life, but there should be some uh, uh, lift in our step, right? There should be a spring in our step. There should be a, some excitement to us that when people come across us, they, they look at us and they go, man, there's something about you that's different. What, what is it? And uh, it's the life of Jesus flowing out of us. And so if you have your Bible today, grab it and turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 4, verse 18. We're going to get there in just a minute, but it's important for us to understand that as we're talking about living inspired, that we understand we're not just talking about uh, getting hyped up with our favorite, um, you know, our favorite Spotify playlist or, you know, a motivational TED Talk on YouTube or something like that. We're actually talking about something uh, much deeper than that. Nothing wrong with those things, but we're talking about something much deeper than that because uh, in its origin, the, the word inspire, the original word is inspire, which means to be in the Spirit or filled with the Spirit, and so to, to be inspired means to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I know for some of us, perhaps when we hear that, that word, the Spirit or Holy Spirit, perhaps for some of us that's kind of like, oh, that's a little weird. Um, you know, we, we talked about that, that for some of us, uh, even in our relationship with God, we kind of feel like God the Father, I understand Him, I kind of get Him. Jesus the Son, okay, historical figure, uh, I, I understand Him, Holy Spirit, Mm, a little weird. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's a lot of followers of Jesus, a lot of Christians that treat the Holy Spirit kind of like the weird uncle, kind of like Uncle Eddie from uh, Griswold uh, Vacation, right? Uh, that it's kind of like, yeah, he's in the family, but let's just kind of keep him over there. And I, I believe that that is based in a misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit is, that the Holy, Holy Spirit is not some weird force. He is a person, and He also will not make us weird. If you've seen someone who is weird, they're just weird, okay? That, don't blame that on the Holy Spirit, right? That's, just, that's them, okay? Um, in, in fact, the greatest example of a Spirit-filled life that we can find is the life of Jesus. And here in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, this is a crucial verse in Jesus' ministry. It's, in fact, it's the first words of his ministry. He's been baptized. He's been led into the wilderness, and then he returns. And the Bible says in Luke 4, 18, that Jesus stood up in the temple, and he said this, the Spirit 
of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. How many of you think that's a good thing? Yeah? And recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That is a movement I can get on board with. But it all comes out of the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Those words were the defining words of Jesus' life and ministry. I'd encourage you sometime, read the first few chapters of the book of Luke and look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. Everything Jesus did was in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is the model for what it means to live in the Spirit. There's not some guy that's in his basement and got a YouTube channel and, you know, talking weird stuff. That's not the model. I'm just, I'm not speaking of anyone in particular. I'm just thinking of weird people, okay? They're all in their basement and have a YouTube channel. That's what, that's what I, Jesus is the model of what it means to live a Spirit-filled life. And, and so, in order to uh, understand this or get a hold of this, we, uh, I've shared with you that one thing I believe is important is that, it, that we can understand the nature of the Holy Spirit by an analogy that the Bible uses, and that is the picture of wind. In fact, uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word for spirit, or that's translated as spirit, in the Old Testament it is ruach, in the New Testament it is pneuma, but both of those words simply mean breath or wind. And so to live inspired, to live in the Spirit, is simply to just have a, a breath of fresh air in your lungs, it's like the, the wind in your sails that you are living inspired. That, that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And one thing that I love about wind or a, a, a principle that comes out of wind is called the principle of lift. And the principle of lift is, I won't get into all the mechanics of it, but it's because I don't understand the mechanics of it, but... Uh, uh, the principle of lift is what makes an airplane fly. I don't know how much an airplane weighs. You can Google it, but it's heavy, okay? A, a big, you know, uh, jet is, it, passenger airline is a heavy, heavy uh, piece of equipment, right? And there is a huge gravitational pull on that piece of equipment. But there's something that happens when, that, when the jet engines begin to push it down the runway and the wind begins to hit that jet, there's something in the angle of the, the wings that cause the principle of lift to kick in. And the principle of lift actually supersedes the law of gravity and causes what would be uh, unthinkable in the natural to happen. It causes, it, it's almost miraculous if you think about this huge piece of equipment with a gravitational pull on it that just soars through the air. Now, we're used to that in 2019, but uh, 150 years ago, that would have just been mind-blowing, right, to see such a huge thing floating through the air. How does it happen? It's the principle of lift. And I believe that God wants to give us, as we live a spirit-filled life, God wants to bring the principle of lift into our lives. 
that when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, that it causes our life and everything in our lives to go to another level. It causes your thinking to go to another level. It causes uh, the, the way you speak to go to another level. It causes your relationships to go to another level. It's the principle of lift. And here we see this principle of lift uh, manifesting in the life of Jesus. Up until this point, he had lived a relatively normal, average life, and the Holy Spirit comes on him and lift happens, right? Right? Uh, suddenly he's launched into this incredible ministry that changes the world. And we see the same thing in Acts chapter 2 in the lives of the followers of Jesus. They'd spent three years with Jesus just kind of following Jesus. You know, nothing special happening, nothing miraculous happening. It was kind of like taxiing on the runway, right? It was like three years taxiing on the runway. But then an amazing thing happened when the Holy Spirit comes on them. Suddenly, this group of ragtag followers that just seem to never be able to do anything right, suddenly they become world changers. Suddenly they start to live this life that, that is an inspired, inspirational life. I, I think it was Margaret Mead that said, never underestimate the, group, uh, the, the, the power of a small, committed group of people to change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Uh, imagine with me what could happen if every one of us began to live in the Spirit, inspired, a Spirit-filled life. And that is our goal through this series, to understand the work of the Holy Spirit so that we can experience the life of the Holy Spirit, live an inspired life. One of the ways that the Holy Spirit works in our life is what Paul calls the manifestations of the Spirit or spiritual gifts. And so we've been looking at spiritual gifts um, over the course of this series. And to be honest, I'm going intentionally slow because I believe that God wants us to lay a strong foundation of understanding in our hearts and minds regarding spiritual gifts. In fact, uh, Paul says specifically in the Bible, do not be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. And, and so uh, God wants us to understand these things. So we've been taking our time uh, through them. And in fact, next week, uh, we'll be sharing with you details of how you can take a spiritual gifts test online that will, uh, don't worry, you can't fail it, okay? Um, but it, it will just help you to identify the, the gifts that God has put within you. And so we'll share with you details about that next week. Uh, but one thing that we have talked about in order to help frame this conversation around spiritual gifts, we have categorized the gifts in what we are calling gift clusters, gift clusters. And uh, we have shared that there are three gift clusters. This was not original to us. This was uh, identified. Actually, different people kind of uh, group the gifts differently. But the Bible lists somewhere around 20-something spiritual. Um, specific spiritual gifts. I believe there can be more than that, but we're looking at these, these specific gifts that the Bible lists in the Scripture, breaking it into three groups, three clusters. And the first cluster that we talked about was, uh, was the love gifts. And the, the purpose of the love gifts is to manifest the love of God to His people or through His people to the world. When the love gifts are operating, it just feels like God is hugging you. God is loving you. 
And so the love gifts in the church, the love gifts are what make it feel like home. It's what makes you feel, makes you feel accepted. It's what makes it not just an event that you pop into and leave. The love gifts are, are what make church into family. And so we've been talking, and, and there's actually more than just that, but we've been talking about those love gifts. We talked about the gift of helps, the gift of hospitality, the gift of administration, the gift of... Uh, mercy, the gift of administration. We talked about all of those. Everybody tracking with me? I know you've memorized all of these things. You've just been studying it nonstop uh, over the last few weeks, I know. And so you're, you're one step ahead of me. But we've been talking about the love gifts. Today we're going to transition to the word gifts. Okay? So if the love gifts manifest the love of God to the world, the word gifts reveal the will of God, the direction of God, to his people, to the church. In fact, here's a definition of the word gifts. The word gifts clarify the nature of our unseen God and what he expects from his followers. People using these gifts communicate about God and for God. Word gifts help us to understand God's nature, purposes, and how to relate to him. Okay, so Obviously, God, we don't see him in the natural, but he is leading us and he is speaking to us by the Holy Spirit. So practically, how does that happen? It happens through the word gifts. And so we're going to look at several of those gifts today. But before we get into those gifts, uh, I want to just make a note about the word gifts as a whole. We've shared with you that every single one of us has spiritual gifts. The Bible says that each one has received gifts. And so everybody, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you've received the Holy Spirit, uh, you, have, uh, you have spiritual gifts. Every person has gifts, and all those gifts are valuable, but they are, they're all of equal value, but they're not all of equal order. Okay, this is an important distinction to understand. That, that all the gifts are of the same value, but they're not all of the same order. And so when it comes to the spiritual gifts, the word gifts are kind of like first chair gifts. Anybody play in the band in school and you're not afraid to admit it? Yeah, there was, do you remember there was always a first chair flutist, flautist, I don't know, a person that plays the flute. There was always a first chair person, at least in my, in my school there was. Not that I was in band, I just heard about it, okay guys? Um, but <laughs> um, I, no, I was never in the first chair. But this is first chair. Uh, in the body of Christ, these are first chair gifts. They're not more valuable than other gifts, but they are, Paul uses the word foundational. He, he actually says this, that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, which are a part of these word gifts. It's like in your house, there's a lot of things that go into building the house. Some of them are more evident, some of them are more beautiful, uh, but they go in in a different order, right? You don't show up on the first, JD is an architect and oversees building projects, others of you work in construction. You don't show up on groundbreaking day with a bucket of paint, do you? If you showed up on the groundbreaking day with a bucket of paint, how many of you would, how many of you know they'd be like, take that home, it's like, Six months until we need that, okay? Now, we all agree that paint is important, right? But it's not foundational. And so these gifts are foundational. They lay the foundation that will allow all of the other gifts to be released and function within the body of Christ. They will give the structure and the shape to the body of Christ so that the other gifts can be 
released. And so these, are, these play a unique role, not of more value, but a, a different order in the body of Christ. And so I want to talk to you today about three uh, of these spiritual gifts. I want to talk to you first about teaching, about teaching. Now, uh, it's funny to talk about teaching because I'm trying to do it while I'm talking about it, okay? So hopefully I'm giving a good example of this. But, but teaching uh, is not just a transfer of information. It, it is not just let me give you some information, and it is like, you know, a transfer of information from my brain into your brain. That is a part of it, but it's actually much deeper than that. Have you ever thought about how the thoughts that you think shape the life that you live? The person that you are is largely shaped by the thoughts that you think, and so the Holy Spirit shapes our lives through the transfer of information, by the gift of teaching. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 7, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them, he who teaches in teaching. In other words, teach, teacher, right? If you have the gift, use that gift. Paul also says in Ephesians 4, he lists the what is often called the fivefold gifts, and in that he says apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And so it's important for us to understand that when we talk about the spiritual gift of teaching, we are not talking about just natural teaching ability. There are some people that just teach naturally. There are some people that teach, that they, they're gifted in communicating. There's some people that just teach and they're not gifted in it, right? We've all had somebody like that. But this is actually something altogether different. And so here's the definition. I'll give you this little grid again that we've been giving through for each one of the gifts. The gift of teaching is a special ability that God gives to some members, not to everybody, but he gives to some members of the body of Christ to understand and communicate truth from the Bible in a way that imparts life to those who Learn, And so it's different than just teaching. It's about taking the life of God that is in the Scripture and communicating that into people's hearts. You see, an, a teacher understands that it is not just information, but he is imparting life or she is imparting life through the Word of God. Just like you and I began naturally with uh, DNA that came together, right? I won't go into the details of that. I got my son here in the front row. But DNA that came together, and there was a burst of light, and you came out, right? What was that DNA? That's information, right? DNA is simply information, but there was something that happened that produced life. And the same is true of the teaching gift. It takes the information in the Bible and it shares it in a way that becomes life-giving in people that hear it, in people that receive it. And so the teaching gift is crucial in the church because it is the rudder of the ship. It is the, the rudder that directs us, that the goal is not just that we get a bunch of people. The goal is not that we just do a bunch of activities, but how are we in alignment with the Word of God? And the teacher is always bringing us back to what does the Bible say? And that is a crucial, crucial gift within the body. You can have a lot of activity and be headed in the wrong direction, right? And so the teaching gift is that rudder on 
the ship. So how do you know if you have the teaching gift? What's the demonstration of the teaching gift? It's not just that you love to talk, but you also love, I thought that was funny, you, you may love to talk, but you love understanding biblical truth. If you have the gift of teaching, you love understanding things. You love digging into the Bible. You're like, what does the Greek say? What does the Hebrew say? Right? You love to understand it, not just for your own understanding, but ultimately so that you can impart it into other people. If you have the gift of teaching, when you teach, other people receive life from it. When, when you teach, other people, they are on the edge of their seat. They are engaged. They are receiving life, not just from you. They're receiving life from God through it, as long as they're paying attention. Okay. When a teacher teaches, the logos, which is the written word, becomes rhema. That means it, it goes from just being words on a page to coming alive. When a teacher teaches, it is an aha moment. You may have read a passage in the Bible a thousand times, but when a teacher takes that and opens it up and breaks it apart, you go, aha, I never understood that. And so that's the goal of a teacher is to bring understanding to the Word of God. How do you know you're a teacher? Also, if you listen for doctrinal error, that's one way. Now, we'll talk about uh, the, the proper function of that, but I remember before I was preaching and teaching often, how many of you know it's a lot easier to, easier to be a critic from the sidelines? How many of you know when you actually start doing something, you're like, I got so much grace for other people, like grace, 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 grace. How many of you know when you talk in front of people enough, you're going to say some dumb stuff at some points in time, okay? And so now I'm just like, grace, grace. But um, I remember before I was teaching regularly, one way that I began to recognize, I think I may have this gift, is I would listen to other people, and if there was something that was a little bit off, I was going, eh, 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 eh. It was, it was my doctrinal radar was open. I was always wanting to make sure it was in line with the Word of God. Now, there's a right way to, to deal with that, but that may be a sign that you have the gift of teaching. If you listen for doctrinal error, if you or, or someone that has the gift of teaching, you may love commentaries. Other people are like, I don't even know what a commentary is. But if you have the gift of teaching, like books are your love language. Like if you have the gift of teaching, if you're surrounded by books or, or you know, digital books or physical books or audio books, you're like, I am in my zone, Right? It's the gift of teaching manifesting in you. You probably have like a, a huge collection of highlights, highlighters. Uh, you, you may have like sticky notes. When you read a book, you don't just read the book. You're like picking it apart because you have the gift of teaching. Uh, if you have the gift of teaching, there, there is no such thing as scriptural TMI. Sometimes I may speak and some of you are like, TMI, too much information, give me the Cliff's notes. If you have the gift of teaching, you're going, come on, bring it on, more information, dig deeper, break that apart. One hour, who cares? Keep going, right? That's the teachers. If you have the gift of teaching, you love when people talk about the, the, the uh, doctrine of the Word of God. You love words that end in occasion. 
justification, sanctification, glorification, words that end in ology, soteriology, pneumatology, eschatology. If your pastor is saying those words, you're like, I am in the right place. What is that? It's the gift of teaching manifesting in you. Now, let me make this point. As we've said before, that too often we allow our gifts to become things that separate us from the broader body of Christ when God actually intends for those to be things that unite us. And so too often the people with the gift of teaching, because they're tuned into that, they go, okay, all of the teacher people, we're all over here, and all they're doing is reading Greek and Hebrew, and nobody's serving the poor, nobody's helping people in the church, nobody's welcoming somebody when they they come in the door because everybody's like, you know, parsing the Greek, Okay? Don't worry about what that means. So we need, don't just take your gift and go bring it over into a corner. We need those gifts in the body of Christ. If you have the gift of teaching, we need you to teach in the body. We need you to minister your gift in the body. We need you to help to, to, to train other people, to, to impart information in a life-giving, biblical way to other people. Now, let me just make a, a, a word on this. I know this is a bigger topic, and we've never addressed this before, but I want to just make a word on, uh, on women teaching. I know that in some, the oxygen just left the room, I know in some parts of the body of Christ, and I won't get into all of this. If you want more information, we'll come talk after service. I know that there's some parts in the body of Christ that would maybe take some words certain verses, and they would go, okay, women cannot teach. But I would say this, the Bible never makes the gifts excluded to a certain gender. I believe all of the gifts are available to all of the body of Christ. And so I would say this, that although we recognize the God-given uniqueness between men and women and the value that they bring, we want to see the gifts released among all of God's people. All God's children got gifts. Amen? And so I believe that it's important for us to hear those gifts manifested in a broad spectrum of voices. How many of you enjoyed the ladies when they spoke a few weeks ago? Wasn't that awesome? And so we need people functioning in, in all of the gifts within the body of Christ. And so if you have the gift of teaching, how do you develop it? Well, one way is just devoting yourself to Scripture. That's first and foremost. Devote yourself. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. And if you have the gift of teaching, you need to be all about that Bible. You need to just give yourself to the Word of God. If you have the gift of teaching, don't just shoot to know the Bible just like every other person in the church. If you have the gift of teaching, make that your, your aim, that, make that your craft, make that your, your, your um, objective, that you would know the Word of God so that you could communicate it to other people. That means that you need to prioritize time for study. I know that sometimes for pastors, thankfully that's not in this church, but there's some churches that view um, study time as like you know, unimportant, unneeded, kind of waste of time, or like if you're studying, you're not really spirit-filled, or something like that. But, but I believe, in fact, the Bible says that we are to study to show ourselves approved. 
And so you need to devote time for study. You need to take time to develop ideas. Write things down. Meditate on them. Bounce them off of other people. Develop ideas. And then you also need to develop communication skills. You may have the gift, but there is a difference between having the gift and growing in the gift. Right? And so... You may have the gift of teaching, but you still have to develop it. That means that you just need to start teaching. You need to start teaching. Now, don't wait until you get some uh, invitation to Hillsong Conference to decide to start teaching or, you know, Desiring God Conference or something like that. Just start teaching in whatever opportunity you have. I remember the first time I taught on a regular basis. I was asked to teach a middle school boy's Sunday school class. I was part teacher, part referee, okay? Breaking up fights and trying to manage it all. But there was something in that that was developing the gift that God had put within me. So you've got to start seizing opportunities where you're at. Now, that doesn't mean that you take control of your connect group and turn it into your teaching ministry, okay? But you've got to develop your gift. Now, along with every gift, there's also dangers, If a gift is done not in the Spirit, but is operated in the flesh, the Bible says, there are dangers for every gift. And so the gift of teaching is no different. For a teacher, if we do not stay filled with the Spirit, if we do not stay in the flow of the life of the Holy Spirit, there are some things that that we can fall into in an unhealthy way. The first thing is not actually being unhealthy. It's just a warning. The Bible gives us in James chapter 3, verse 1, it says that, Let not many of you become teachers. That's the only gift in the Bible that it says everybody shouldn't do that. It goes on to say that you will receive, those who teach will receive a stricter judgment. Why? Because it's a foundational gift. And so there will be a day for me that I will come and others of you that perhaps will step into this gifting, a day that you will stand and I will stand before God And give an account. The Bible says a greater account. We'll all give an account, but then Jesus will call me over to the side of the line, and he'll be like, hey, that one message you spoke, that was your idea. Hopefully it's not this message. That's my goal, to not have any of those, okay? But there's a stricter judgment, and so we have to be aware of that. Another danger is that we can become nitpicky and critical of others. Again, when we get just all the teachers together, it's not a blessing to the body. It is like a It's a pain in the rear end of the body of Christ because teachers all together just become nitpicky and critical of other members of the body of Christ. They they look at other gifts and they judge them in light of themselves. I'll give you, well, there's examples that I could give you, but there's some people that they, uh, they make it their business. They think that they're the doctrinal police of the whole body of Christ Uh, And it's not the gift functioning in a good way. We are to teach, we are to guide, but it's all to be in a spirit of love, not nitpicky. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.14, do not strive about words to no profit. So if you're like, when you say sanctification, I don't think that you really understand what that means, and I'm going to arm wrestle you over it. That's not healthy, okay that just came to me arm wrestling over it. I don't know if they do that at their teacher get-togethers. I've not been invited to them. But another danger is that you only focus on head over heart. Teachers, sometimes if they don't stay in the life-giving flow of the Holy Spirit, they just get into their head. 
and it's just information, and it's all heady, and it's all academic, but there is no life of the Spirit in it. And so there's a danger in that. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Another danger is that teachers can become theologically narrow. So they focus in on their pet little message, their pet doctrine, and they exclude anybody that thinks any differently than them. And so God wants us to be open, to be generous, to be loving. And so those are dangers for those of us that have the gift of teaching. Now, as I've said before, even if you don't have a gift, that doesn't mean that excludes you from it, okay? Just because you may not be called to the the, the office or the gift of teaching doesn't mean that you should not teach. In fact, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 says that though you by this time ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles or the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, you ought to be teaching. You've been sitting in church for five years, and you've not actually taken what you've learned and imparted that into anybody else. He's saying, you should be a teacher. You've got like a, you know, a master's degree in biblical studies, all the hours that you've been spending, but you are not teaching anyone else. We're all called, although we may not have the gift of teaching, the Bible says actually the Great Commission that we are, we are to teach uh, all the things that Jesus has commanded. And so every one of us needs to be taking what we receive and imparting it into others. Great way to do, to do that. Take notes when we're together. Hear the Word of God. Receive it. Write down things that stick out to you. And then those of you with, with a family, uh, when you sit down at the dinner table, take out your notes. Open up your Bible and just say, hey, what did God speak to you through that? Let me share with you something God put on my heart, okay? And so all of us are called to teach. Is that all right? Good. Okay. Secondly, I want to talk about the gift of exhortation. Anybody excited about the gift of exhortation? Come on. Yes. Or this gift is also called the gift of encouragement. The gift of exhortation, also the gift of encouragement. No one has ever said, I am way too encouraged. There are some gifts that that when they function in the body, people may be like, oh, keep your gift over there. Not the gift of encouragement, baby. People love to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged. That's what the gift of exhortation does. The Bible says in Romans 12, 8, that he who exhorts should operate in exhortation. Or in other words, if you have this gift, just encourage people, exhort people. Use the gift that you have. That word exhort in other places in the scripture, it's referred to or it's translated as urging, comforting, or appealing. Urging, comforting, or appealing. The definition of it is the special ability that God gives to some members of the body of Christ to encourage, strengthen, and uplift the church and its members towards the purposes and the call of God. Now, it's important for us to, to recognize that it's towards God's purpose. It's not just build you up, hype you up, okay? It's to build you up towards God's purpose. So those that have the gift of exhortation, they're like a spiritual coach, right? Anybody go to a workout class? Anybody want to go to a workout class? Somebody needs to form a workout class right here. There is a market in this place. 
I've started going to a workout class, and I will be mentioning that every Sunday, just so you know. I've got to get credit for it, all right? Now, I could do those things at home, but there's something about having that coach that's going, come on, you can do it. Come on, push through. Come on, just keep going, keep going. You can do this. You've got this. There's something about that that just pushes me beyond what I could do in the natural. That's what the gift of exhortation does. The gift of teaching is about helping us to understand truth. The gift of exhortation is about helping us to walk out the truth we know. How many of you know there's a big difference between the two, right? And so we need the gift of exhortation. It causes us to take action on what we know. Teaching appeals to the mind or the intellect. Exhortation appeals to the will and the heart. So when a teacher is teaching... You're on the edge of your seat with your notebook, right? Everybody is? Yes? Okay, good. You're on the edge of your seat with your notebook. You're taking notes. You're getting it all written down. That's when a teacher teaches. When an exhorter exhorts, you're not on the edge of your seat with your notebook. You're on your feet with a hanky, right? You're just, come on, go, go, go. You, you are stirred up, fired up, ready to go, right? That's what an exhorter does, you guys have seen that in a great example. Josh Allen, a great leader here in our church, he has the gift of exhortation. When he gets up, it's like you're, people are crying, everybody's excited about what God has for them. What is it? It's the gift of exhortation. Uh, Joel Osteen, another guy with a gift of exhortation. Some people criticize him because they are thinking of him as a teacher. He's not a teacher. Do not read Systematic Theology by Joel Osteen. But when you're having a bad day, do not listen to John MacArthur. Okay? He will discourage you. He will depress you. You need some Joel Osteen. Right? You need some exhortation. You need some encouragement. The world is, I mean, the world will pull you down. Why does he have like the largest church in America? Because people need to be encouraged. And every church needs the gift of exhortation functioning in the body. It brings the yes we can mentality to the body. If you don't have the gift of exhortation, serving God will be tiring and exhausting and you'll get discouraged and you'll be, you'll be downtrodden But the gift of exhortation. It puts that encouragement in you. Another great example of that in our, in our church, I know he's not here today, but, but uh, Don Lanzi. Don't we all love Don Lanzi? Everybody who knows Don Lanzi? Do you love Don Lanzi? Yes. Don Lanzi, he's not here today, so everybody tell him that I talked about him, okay? He will text you words of encouragement. Who gets, a, who gets an encouraging text? Seriously, look around. You're getting the daily dawn, baby. That is the daily dawn. It is a word of encouragement. I got a message. If you don't know Don Lanzi, he's a wonderful guy, plays guitar. He's here like all the time. He's not here today, but he sends an encouraging text message. He's never, when he comes in on Sunday, he's never dragging in. He's always, man, he's excited. He's ready to go. He's like a, you know, a little spark plug. It's just bringing encouragement. And he's like texting one-third of the congregation daily <laughs> encouragements. I got a message from my neighbor who uh, has moved to Denmark, Henrietta, some of you know her, and she texted me this week that she had received the Daily Dawn, and she was so encouraged by Dawn's text. So we got to tell Dawn his ministry of exhortation is now international, okay? It's international. 
but it's just a word of encouragement. I want to tell you, we need to encourage one another. We need to encourage each other. I've got a file saved on my phone of encouragements from you guys and from other people that when I'm having a hard day, when I'm going through a challenge, I just open that up and I'm feeding myself. I'm encouraging myself on your exhortation. And so we need the gift of exhortation. How do you know if you have the gift of exhortation? You have the ability to uplift and encourage people. You may find groups or individuals of people with problems drawn to you because they need encouragement. If you have the gift of exhortation, you love to see people go further in God. You love to see people. You are a spiritual cheerleader that's celebrating Like we've talked about Barnabas before, when Paul, in his leadership drive, put John Mark out of the team, Barnabas said, no, I'll take you on. And ultimately, Paul said, John Mark is needful to me. He was a person, as the gift of exhortation, that believed in other people when no one else did. The, The teacher says, you need to understand the gift of exhortation. Look somebody in the eyes and says, I see in you and speaks the life of God into a person and calls that greatness out of them. You can do it. And so if you have the gift of exhortation, we need you to function in the gift of exhortation. We need that in the body to bring life, to bring joy, to bring excitement. So how do you develop the gift of exhortation. If you feel like you had that gift or you want that gift, one way is just feed on encouragement from God's Word. Feed yourself. We were singing earlier, all your promises are yes and amen. Is that the song we sang? All your promises. The Bible is filled with great and precious promises. If you have the gift of exhortation, grab hold of some of those promises and just meditate on those things. The scriptures that say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The scriptures that say, praise be to God who always leads us in triumph. All of the encouraging words, grab hold of them. Put them in your heart because you're going to need to come alongside somebody else and you're going to need to say, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You're going to need to impart encouragement. And so you've got to feed yourself, your spirit, your mind on the encouraging word of God. Also, if you have the gift of encouragement, look for people who are discouraged. Look for people that drift off to the side. Look for people that, that come in and perhaps are by themselves or, or, or perhaps uh, they just look like they've had a hard day. Come, come alongside them. Put your arm around them and just speak encouragement into them as the, the life of God into them. Ask God for words of exhortation. Ask God to give you specific things to minister to other people and also be filled with the Holy Spirit as all the gifts need to be in the flow of the Holy Spirit. The danger of this gift, if you have this gift and you get out of the flow of the Spirit, the danger is that that you can turn to self-help rather than God-help. You can turn to you can do it rather than God can do it. You can turn to just the power of positive thinking, and I would say positive thinking is always better than negative thinking, but ultimately... The, the gift of exhortation is not just positive thinking, it's the promises, it's the Word of God that will come to pass. And so we need to stay focused on it. We also need to make sure if you have that gift that you don't become emotion-oriented because oftentimes people that have the gift of exhortation, just like all of the gifts, the gifts often don't work on them. 
themselves. Your gift often doesn't work on you. And so people that have the gift of exhortation sometimes can become discouraged themselves. And so we need to encourage one another, all of us, whether we have the gift or not. Hebrews 3.13 says that we are all called to exhort one another daily. Hebrews 3.13. So that's the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, the gift. I'm gonna, who thinks I should do the gift of leadership? Nobody? One, two, okay, I'm going to do it quickly. Okay, Michael, I'm going to do it for you, okay? All right, so, and then we're going we're gonna to pray for people. We actually want to make sure we leave some time at the end to pray for one another, to receive communion together. But the gift of leadership, I know this may feel a little more lecture-ish, teacher-ish, but I think it's important for us to understand. So the gift of leadership, if, if uh, teaching says, I want you to understand, exhortation says, come on, we can do it. The, the gift of leadership shows the way to go, shows the way to go. Now, this gift uh, is crucial in the body of Christ. God gives leaders to the church. Amen. He gives leaders to the church. Why? Because we, sheep have a tendency to wander. You know what I'm saying? Anybody have a tendency to wander? How many of you know, like you can hear a word from God, encounter with God Sunday by Monday, you're like, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know? And we need somebody. That's why we talk about connect groups, because we're just saying we need to keep moving together. This is the way we're living the Jesus life together. We're trying to move together. That's what the gift of leadership does. The gift of leadership is the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ. Not everybody is a leader uh, or in, in the body. That's not every person's gift in the body. We all are all called to lead at some capacity, but certain members... Uh, re- It's the ability to receive and communicate vision for advancing God's kingdom in such a way that people voluntarily and harmoniously work together to accomplish goals required for the vision. Now, some of us uh, may, may have seen bad examples of the gift of leadership, and so perhaps you feel that you have a, uh, an aversion from this gift, but I want you to understand that, that the Scripture says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. And so when you get into an environment where there's no leadership, there is no vision, you just scatter, there's no direction, it becomes chaotic. That's true in a home, it's true in a nation, it's true in a church, it's true in every environment. God has given leaders. And so Uh, How do you know if you have the gift of leadership? One thing is you see the big picture. You're not bogged down on the details. You're seeing the big picture. You're constantly asking, where are we going? If you have the gift of leadership, if you're in a group and there's nobody that's kind of leading the group, it's just driving you crazy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? On the inside, if there's nobody that's like bringing direction and order and Stepping into it, you're, you're, you go crazy on the inside. Why? Because it's that gift of leadership that is wanting to lead forward. If you have the gift of leadership, you don't get stuck in the present reality, perhaps to a fault. If you have the gift of leadership, you are always living in the could be and should be of the future. That's why we need all the gifts, because the, the gift of leadership is always going progress forward, further this direction, 
but we also need the gift of mercy to go, but we got a straggler over here. we got to bring everybody together. So we need all the gifts, but if you have the gift of mercy, do not uh, despise the gift of leadership. God needs the gift of leadership to move the body forward. And so if you have the gift of leadership, you live in the realm of the could be and the should be, and people are also drawn to your leadership. Just because you have a title, just because you print a business card online, does not make you a leader. How do you know if you're a leader? Turn around. See if people are following you. If nobody's following you, you're not a leader, you're a walker, okay? You're on a walk, but you're not a leader. And so uh, leadership will bring, it will gather people around you, around the vision that God has given to you. So if you have the gift of leadership, you need to begin leading in whatever sphere that God has for you. I love the way that God instructed Moses to appoint leaders over thousands, leaders over hundreds, leaders over fifties, and leaders over tens. And it was the same qualifications for all of the leaders. In other words, there's different spheres that God has called us to lead in. The first sphere that we all need to lead in is the sphere of of self-leadership. Say that ten times fast. The sphere of self-leadership. That's a tongue twister. Don't depend on title authority. Also, study biblical leadership. And listen to this. This is an important one. Serve faithfully under the leadership that God has given to you. I know God can give us the gift of leadership, the call to lead, but sometimes there is a time between the call and the fulfillment of that call. Do you remember the story of David called to be king, anointed by God to be king, and then on the run for his life? There's a moment when Saul comes into the cave where David is hiding, and he could have killed him. It was his moment. He could have, he could have said, this is my calling. This, I, this is my right to the throne. But David he actually cut a little bit of Saul's robe off, and then later he mourned and said, I should not have touched the Lord's anointed. And so if you have the gift of leadership, one of the most important things you can do is serve humbly and serve faithfully under the leaders that God has given to you. You are sowing into the call and the future and the season that God has for you. And so the danger, if we have the gift of leadership, a danger is that we can become progress-oriented. Because of a progress orientation, we can become frustrated in the present. Does that make sense? Because you're always living in the realm of could be and should be and ought to be and is going to be and I'm, it has to be. But you're over here in the present reality. You can live, if you've got the gift of leadership, a dysfunctional leader is frustrated with their present reality and it ultimately circumvents the journey towards what God has for you. And so you've got to learn how to be content in the season that God has put you in. Another danger is for leaders, we can begin to drive rather than lead. We become so vision-oriented, which is from God, and we should have a, a progress orientation. But rather than, hey, here is the way, a, a leader that's not in the Spirit is not leading and guiding and shepherding. He is driving, or she is driving, leading people towards the vision. They become vision-focused rather than, uh, rather than using the vision to serve people. Another danger is that leaders may become uh, 
have lead out of selfish ambition rather than godly ambition. Now, godly ambition is not wrong. Paul said, I've made it my ambition to preach the gospel where the gospel has never been preached. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go to the epicenter of the culture and of the world and plant a church and establish a beachhead for the gospel. It's not wrong to have ambition. But the question is, is it kingdom ambition or is it selfish ambition? Is it God's kingdom or is it my kingdom? Is it about making me great or is it about showing his greatness to the world? Another danger of leadership is that people become attached to the gift rather than to the giver. People become so focused on the gift or the leader rather than recognizing, man, God is great. He's the giver. Ultimately, you'll be disappointed. I'll just tell you up front, if you put your hope in a person, put them on a pedestal, you will be disappointed, okay? So for every one of us, how do we function and how do we develop this discipline? We need to develop an attitude for advancement. God wants all of us to move forward. God wants all of our lives to progress. And whether you have the gift of leadership or not, the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. So it's always reaching forward. So all of us, don't be content in church as it is. There's more. Don't be content with your neighborhood as it is. There's more. Don't be content with your marriage as it is. There is more. Not more spouses, but more that God wants to do in your marriage, okay? And so we need to lead in that direction. God's called every one of us. Now as we as we wrap up, I want you to understand every one of these. Worship team, you guys can come back. Every one of these gifts, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, the gift of leadership, these are not ultimately spiritual superpowers. These are demonstrations of the nature of Jesus. They, they are revealing the nature of God, that He is our teacher. Jesus is our teacher. He is the Word made flesh. Jesus is our exhorter. The Bible says that He knows what it is to be a man. He knows what you're going through so that He can come alongside you and encourage you. Ultimately, Jesus is our leader. He's not a leader that's far off, that's away and, and looking down and driving you. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. In other words, when we're out of line, when we're going the wrong direction, he's not slam you. He's just leading you, guiding you, directing you in the way. This is the way. This is the way. Walk in it. And so we're going to receive communion on both sides today. We have communion. It's the visible representation of the body and the blood of Jesus, remembering that he is our teacher, the word made flesh, that he is our exhorter, the one that comes alongside us, that he's always present with us, and also that he's our leader, that he's the head of the church. I want to read this verse, and in fact, I'm going to ask all of you just to stand up, and we're going to move into a few minutes of prayer. We won't prolong it, but I believe God wants to do something. 1 Timothy chapter 4 Verse 14 says this, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands upon you. Paul is saying that, that to Timothy, you received something when the elders laid hands on you. Part of the reason that we 
appointed and formally recognized our eldership team during this series is not because it's just about the eldership team. It's God wanting to release the gifts into the body. Paul says there's something that happened. There's a gift that was released in you when the leaders laid hands on you. And so we're going to do that this morning. I'm going to ask our eldership team and also our prayer team just to come up on both sides. Maybe some of you have these gifts and you've allowed them to go dormant. You've allowed them to to just settle in your life. I want to encourage you, don't neglect your gift. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And as we've done on each one of the Sundays of this series, we're going to invite you forward. If you have the gift of one of these gifts that we've talked about, leadership, exhortation, teaching, or maybe any one of the other gifts that we've talked about, the love gifts, we want to invite you to come forward. And I, I know on some of the weeks I've looked out and I've been like, you need to come forward. That person, they've, they've got the gift of helps. They've got the gift of hospitality. Come on forward. So I want to encourage you today, don't miss out on what God wants to do. Amen? let's just pray and as we sing this song I want to invite you to come forward Father we thank you Lord that you are the giver of every good gift every good and perfect gift comes down from you and Lord as we talk about these gifts today Lord we ask that you would release these gifts in our body Father we pray for the gift of teaching to be manifest God we pray for those that you have deposited that gift within. God, we pray there'd be a hunger stirred in their hearts, Lord. Those with the gift of exhortation, God, I pray, Lord, let them see the gift that's within them. Let them see the way that you want to use them. God, the gift of leadership, God, we call forth leaders today. We call forth leaders, God. We pray that you would raise up leaders in this house. Father, thank you, God, that there is more that you're calling us to as a church. So, Lord, we want to release these gifts within the body today. We ask you today to impart gifts, to stir gifts. We receive it by faith in Jesus' name. So if you want one of these gifts, as the scripture says, eagerly desire. If you want one of these gifts, come. Or you feel that you have one of these gifts, come. And I want to encourage you to activate your faith today. Activate your faith. Get out from where you're at. We want to pray for you this morning. Let's worship God.